Luke chapter 15. Um, so if you have a Bible, go with me to Luke 15. And uh, on this Father's Day, I thought this was a really appropriate thing for us to dig into uh, and to study. So as we start today, here's what I want to ask you. Think about your favorite movie. Somebody have a favorite movie like that you just like? You, it's like the best, you know, like a lot of movies, but this is the best movie I've ever seen or whatever. Your favorite movie. The one that whenever it shows up on TV, you're kind of like, I got to watch it wherever it is, from whatever point it is. I just got to... Now, if you have a favorite, or if you're like a book person, maybe you have a favorite novel or something, so you could just transplant that. How many times have you... So how many times have you seen that movie? Like, has anybody seen their favorite movie more than five times? Anybody? Oh, of course. It's my favorite movie. What are you talking about? How about more than 10 times? Did you say more than 10 times? Yeah. So every time you see this movie, let me just ask you, every time you see this movie, does it include the same characters? Do they say the same things? It's the same story, right? So why do we watch it over and over and over again? If I'm not learning anything new, isn't it boring? How can you enjoy something again and again and again? But there's something about these precious stories, these things that that touch us in a certain spot in our God-given makeup, and they draw us back in again and again. And most of the time it's because they have they say something to us and, and there's a, a, an opening of different levels and, and depths to a theme that really has deep meaning to us. And so today's story that Jesus tells is kind of like that. It's probably something you've heard again and again. I know for me, I couldn't even tell you how many times I have read and heard and watched this story unfold. We've called it today the lost son, and and I'll tell you why in a minute, but it's been called the prodigal son. It's been called many other story names over time. Uh, As a matter of fact, a few years ago on Wednesday night, we did a a study by Tim Keller on this story uh, called The Prodigal God, and he kind of focused on how prodigal means reckless, and the real story here is about the recklessness of the father in this story. So lots and lots of insight can be gained from this. Um, it is actually in, uh, kind of out of order with what we've done because of some of the things that happened and because I thought this was a good story for Father's Day. But it's actually the third in this chapter on the series of the lost stuff. If you remember about a month ago, we talked about um, the lost sheep and then we talked about, talked about the lost coin. And then right on the heels of that is this story. It's why I called it the lost son. And so uh, of the sheep, there was one out of a hundred that were lost. And of the coins, there was one out of ten that were lost. And now in the sun, you would think there is one out of two that are lost. And this story is a long story. So because of that, we could have broken it up. But we're just going to kind of read through the whole thing. And I'm going to let the Spirit speak to you about the different facets of it. And and I'm going to trust that you can tune in to what the Spirit would want you to get from it. But one thing I want all of us to get out of this is this. And I think you could probably identify with this pretty quickly. People are kind of hard to love. I mean, not theoretically. Theoretically, I love people. It's the actual people with their actual stuff in front of me that actually irritates me or gets in my way or, you know what I mean? People are kind of hard to love sometimes. Don't you think it's tough to love someone who is self-centered and so selfish that they trample over anyone and everyone to get what they want? 
Every interaction that you have with them is all about them. It's all about what you can do for them, what they want from you, whether they're being nice to you or whether they're being mean to you. They are so self-centered, it's kind of hard to love them, isn't it? And when they find themselves in trouble, you're kind of like, good. I mean, you don't say it out loud most of the time, but you're kind of like, finally. And if they were to come to you in the midst of their trouble, you would be like, hesitant, maybe even unwilling to actually help them because you've been on the receiving end of their selfishness, right? It's hard to love people. Or how about the person who just knows down to the depths of their soul that they are better than you? How easy is it to love that person? The person who has some kind of running list in their head, ready to spout off at any minute the comparison, the way that they can show in whatever shade of light how they are just a little bit better than you. And sometimes it's very explicit. Sometimes it's kind of off in the side. But every single time you get the impression when you are around them that they know they are higher, they are superior, they have a better track record, and they look down on you, kind of hoping you face hard times and trouble in your life because you probably deserve it, and clearly they do not. People are hard to love. It is a tough thing, a challenging thing, and sometimes we even in our self-righteousness and in our pride and in our self-serving way of thinking think that it is right to refuse to love certain people. Jesus tells this story to illustrate how God loves people. And he uses the example of a father's love for his sons. And in this series of stories, what he is trying to do is invite God's people to see the way God sees people. Do you see people the way God sees them? Do you have a heart for people the way God has a heart for people? Maybe the starting place for you today is this question. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Some of us believe some things about the way God looks at us that aren't true. We believe, and I've talked with people that, that really struggle with this, because it's, it's ingrained in their very nature that they believe that when they've done wrong, they should suffer for it. They should beat themselves up. They should carry guilt and shame, and they're not really eligible to be released from it. They have to walk in it. It's theirs. It's just what's right and just what due to them. It's their lot in life because they've blown it. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? I hope that this story today maybe opens your eyes to some of the ways God looks at you. And do you care about others the way God cares about them? So let's pick up this story. We're just going to start with verses 11 and 12 with the setup of the story about a man that Jesus talks about who has two sons. So here's what it says. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. All right, so just a simple setup to this story. And and again, Jesus is kind of giving this, this illustration after illustration about how we look at lost things. If we lose something precious, what do we do? If you lose your phone, do you just go, well, whatever, lost my phone. Or do you go looking for it? Do you like 
dial the number and try to hear the ring, and then you're like, oh, I put it on silently. Like, you go and try to find your phone, or do you just, is it a lost cause? If you lost a child, would you go looking for it? And when you found this precious thing, whatever it is, would you be happy that you found it? That's the context in which Jesus is talking to the Jews who really wondered why Jesus was hanging around all these bad, dirty people. So Jesus tells these stories. This is the third one, and this one is about a man who has some wealth, and he has two sons. One son, the younger son, comes with a really strange request to his dad. And that request is basically, give me my inheritance now. He wants his share of his dad's money now. And it doesn't say when he comes with a request what he wants to do with it. He just comes and he makes this request to his dad. So think with me quickly about the implications of this request. Someone comes to uh, their dad and says, I want my inheritance. When do you normally get your inheritance? When dad dies. So what is the son saying to his father in essence? Why aren't you dead yet? I mean, the fact that you continue living is really hampering my style. Could we just go ahead and pretend that you're already dead? And just give me my money now. I mean, don't underestimate the insult that this is. This is really an out-and-out rejection of a relationship with dad. This is a sense that, dad, you're in my way. You're a problem for me. And if you were out of the way, I could finally live my life. I could finally have a life that was fulfilling, a life with purpose, a life with meaning. As a matter of fact, what I would rather have is your stuff than you. I would rather have what you can give me than a relationship with you. Now, if, that, if you feel the sting of that, if you're a parent here and you feel the sting of that, Jesus is telling this story on purpose, and he's comparing it to how people treat God. And, if the, and I don't know if that convicts you at all, but I want to say sometimes even believers would rather have what God could do for us than God himself. We would rather God grant our requests and fix our life and do this and that. And we would rather God's power be put to work for us than God to be with us. And so Jesus says, this son says, you're holding me back from the real fun of living. And, and folks, any time that you believe God is holding you back from the real fun of living, this is where you get. God, could you just get out of my way? I would rather have the blessings that you've given me than the blesser. I would rather have the gifts than the giver. We're all about having God in our lives as long as he does stuff to make us comfortable, to make us happy, that does the things that we want him to do. What we're really saying when we live like this is that we want God's stuff more than we want him. And believers, you and I live like this way too often. And we, we put it under the guise sometimes of prayer. We go to God with requests. We don't spend time enjoying God, being in the presence of God. We spend time making sure that we've convinced him that he should do what we ask him to do. If you've ever had a little baby, your own or, or some you know, relative of yours, someone precious, and you're holding that little baby, what does that baby 
do for you? What can they do for you? They can puke on you. They can, right? I mean, really, they're not going to be much help. It's not like, hey, could you come help me change the oil in my car? Or, they're not doing much for you. But you enjoy being with them. Sometimes you sneak into the room and you watch them sleep. They're not doing anything. You just enjoy being with them. When was the last time you just enjoyed being with your Heavenly Father? Just enjoyed Him. See, so this, and, and you know, as a young person, a lot of times that's what gets us, is we believe that fun is when I leave behind God. Fulfillment is when I move away from these rules and these restrictions. And so Jesus tells this story and sets it up like this. And the question is, how does God deal with this kind of rejection and insult? And in the story, it's the way the father deals with the son. And what does he do? He gives him his inheritance. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the story says he gave both of his sons their inheritance. He didn't just give the younger who asked for it. He gave the older brother away, uh, his stuff as well, at the same time. He gave everything to his sons. Often, our father loves us so much and recognizes that he gives us those choices without stopping us from doing things foolishly because he loves us, because he cares about us. Now, you could argue, and I think if you're a parent, you would argue, A good parent tries to stop their kids from doing foolish things. And and in some sense, that's true. But notice the Heavenly Father here, represented by the Father in the story, does not say, that's the stupidest thing. You're not going to like where that goes. He just says, okay, here you go. Why would he do that? Because in some sense, this father knows the only way that the younger son is going to realize his issue is if he lives it out. And sometimes you and I face the consequences of our choices because God knows the only way we'll learn going through it ourselves. Ultimately, it is essential to any kind of genuine love and any kind of relationship, the freedom to choose. And so God gives us the freedom to choose what we're going to do. Every single Sunday you come and we look into the Word of God and when we look into the Word of God, you have a choice. Are you going to listen? Are you going to follow? Are you going to receive? Are you going to tune out? Are you going to walk away? What are you going to do with this? Your choice. God doesn't force you. He doesn't make you. Because in genuine relationship with genuine love, it has to be something you choose with the option to reject. And every one of you have the option to embrace it or reject it. And so this son receives from the father the fuel so he can go chase his lostness. So pick up with me about the journey of the son, verse 13, all the way down to verse 24. Here's what it says. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. What an amazing story, representing the heart of God for us. So let's look into this. We we hear about the journey of the son, and it starts by saying, after a little while. So the father gives his inheritance to the son. The son hangs around for a little bit. But control is not enough. Money at my disposal is not enough. Having no one over me and having the say over my portion of the property and my portion of the land and my por- is not enough. Because when lust is in charge, when desire is in charge, it will never be satisfied. It can never be filled up. And so what he decides is, well, I thought the problem was that I was under the thumb of my dad and I didn't have money of my own. But now what I realize is the problem is my dad is around. So I'm going to go away. I'm going to run away. I'm going to head to a far-off land, a very distant country. And the distance there is to separate himself from the authority, the influence, even the watchful eyes of his father. It is a choice to reject his father. And so he's not satisfied no matter how much he gets because once he goes away, he begins to live what the Bible, what Jesus says, in wild living. Wild is a way to describe a pursuit of fun and pleasure and spending without restraint the money that he carries and he trades all of his future for right now. I hope that this dawns on you somewhere along the way in your life. This is the way that you always get off track. This is the way that Satan always tempts us and it always puts its hooks in us. Whenever we live by what we want, what we are tempted to do is to choose happy now in exchange for long-term good. It's always the way it is. Happy now in exchange for long-term good. Now, I might actually not be happy now, but I believe if I choose this thing, it's going to bring me joy now. It's going to bring me something I want, something desirable now. And what I don't do is look down the road. So as this son is spending his money... He's living like there's no end to it. He's not accounting for what he's doing. He's not accounting for the result that will come. And sure enough, the result comes. And he is out of luck, out of money. And so whenever you start to believe that the problem in your life, that you can't be having joy, you can't be whole, you can't be fulfilled, you can't be healed, is that you just don't have enough of what you want. You are in a vulnerable place, vulnerable place of temptation where the enemy can bring destruction into your life. Because as long as more is the answer, there's always more to have. There's always more to chase. And it will wring your life out of its days, of its energy, of its opportunity. It will wring your life out as long as you believe that what you need to be happy is more. So the sun chases this all the way down that road. Very quickly, the story turns dark. It says after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine and he's in hunger. 
And he has to go find a job, and the job that he finds is a job feeding pigs. It is a degradation. He is no longer able to live off his own resources. He has to go work for someone else. Instead of being under his father's care, his father's protection, he is now just a nobody, just a daily wage worker. And to stress this, to stress the, the fall, Jesus uses the poster child for unclean animals, for Jews, pigs. He's got to go out into the, the, the dirty pen and feed unclean animals that even touching them would make him ineligible to worship. But he has to survive. And he has nothing. And even as he's surviving, he's still in want and in need, so much so that he's miserable. And so the Bible says, Jesus puts these words, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. How did he come to his senses? He finally connected the dots between my choices and my consequences. If you are making choices that you know are wrong, the only way you can make those choices is to try to disconnect choice from consequence. To be, whether it's willfully blind or duped or whatever, to try to disconnect choice from consequence. And so, all of a sudden, here he is facing the harvest from his own actions. He is hungry and helpless to do anything about it. And it brings him to his senses. He is starving and humiliated. He decides that his dad has a big enough heart to hire him as a servant. And I want you to see that it was his physical desires that led him astray. And it was also his physical desires that led him home. It was what he thought was misery. And then what actually turned out to be misery. Often, the most useful tool in sharing Jesus, in becoming aware of Jesus' opportunity and offer in our lives is the connection between our choices and their consequences. Now, have you ever known somebody who's living in the consequences of their choices and you're like, why do you keep living in those? Like, when are you going to wake up and do something different? What stops us? Let's say we're in the pig pen feeding the pigs and we're hungry and we have no food. What stops us from going, you know what? I blew it. I was wrong. Let me, let me turn around like this son did. What, what stops us from that? Probably two things. Pride, right? It takes humility to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. And you have to be desperate enough to be humble enough to say, no, no more. I'm not going to live the lie. I'm not going to pretend. I have to let go of my self-confidence and my drive for self-indulgence. I have to humble myself and admit that I was deceived and lost and wrong. But I'll tell you, there's another thing that can stop people. Not just pride. Pride is a terrible one. But despair can stop you too. This son could be in that pig pen thinking, and he kind of says it. I'm not worthy to be his son. There's no hope for me. I'm too far gone. It's too far. It's too long. I've been too bad. I've done too much. I've said too much. It's too far. And I've talked, have you talked to people who are like, it's too late for me. It's too late. I've done too much. It would be nice if I could believe that God would love me, but God can't love me. I'm too guilty. I'm too broken. I'm too bad. So despair can keep us stuck just like pride can keep us stuck. But this son, Jesus has him get up and go to his father. And as he goes to his father, we find the scene that is compelling 
and very telling about your heavenly Father. And I hope you know your Father like this. It says, while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him. And the implication there is not that he happened to be like walking by a window at the time and like looked out and, oh, is that my son? The implication is that the father has been on the lookout for his son since he left. So today, here's some good news for you. If you're far away from God, if you've been blowing it, if you're a believer and you've walked away from things that you shouldn't have walked away from, doing things that you should not be involved in, Sometimes you think that the Heavenly Father folds His arms in disgust and stomps off thinking, I'm done with you. But Jesus pictures His Father looking for you. And it's the same as the other themes in the first part of the chapter. When the coin is lost, the person goes looking. When the sheep is lost, the shepherd goes looking. And when the son is lost, the father is looking for the lost. His heart is still for his son, even though he faced the rejection and the pain and all of the disrespect. Even though all of that stuff fell on him and undoubtedly was hurtful, here is the father watching and waiting. And Jesus says, when he sees his son far off, he runs to him. Now, if you've never heard this before, this is amazing. Because that just sounds like, well, that's what any father would do. But not these fathers. There was a propriety to this, especially a wealthy landowner with dignity and and the right kind of robes and the right kind of posture and position in society. Elders and wealthy men don't run anywhere. It's considered childish, undignified, humiliating. They do not go to their inferiors. Their inferiors come to them. So it was a big show. The sons would come and show respect to the father. That's the way it worked. But this father, representing God the Father, when he saw his lost son afar off, ran to him. Leaving aside dignity, leaving aside position, and responding purely in love for his son. Isn't that amazing? Because the son is well aware, I am not worthy to be called your son. And the father said, I could care less whether you're worthy. You are my son. It's never been about worthy. It's always been about whether or not you're his. Whether you are his child. Whether you are a son. And so here is this father running to his son. And the son says to him, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Before he even gets done, because we know there was more to the speech. The speech was, please take me back as a servant. In the middle of, I'm not worthy to be your son, the father doesn't even respond to what was just said. I guess the kind of he does, because here's what he says to his servants. Quick, bring a robe, bring a ring, let's celebrate. And it it mirrors so much of the the stories that we've seen before in this chapter of lostness. He says, you were lost and you're found. And so you were far away from me. And, and as you come walking up, you come in these rags, in these dirty clothes that are a representation of the choices you made. You come with all of the barrenness and all of the filth of your choices in your life and your rebellion and your rejection. And you come walking up and say, I'm not worthy. And it's self-evident you're not worthy. And the father says, take that off. 
put this on. Immediately, he removes what was the product of the son's decision. And he graces him and grants him a robe that repositions him as a son in the family. Because he earned it? Because his apology was good enough? No, because he was found. See? So when he comes home, no matter how lost he's been, and, and it's arguable there's no more lostness than this. But those filthy clothes that were a result of the son's foolish choices now have the best robe. And the ring is, you are my son. I want people to be able to acknowledge you and see you. I want to signify that you are mine. You're part of our family. You belong with us. Let's take away all of the evidence of your former choices. And let's place you back. Not because you're worthy, but because you're my son. And then let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. With everything that has been found, there is a celebration and there is joy. And there is joy here because my son is home. Folks, listen, let me tell you this. If you know somebody who's far away from God, this is the heart of the Father for them. If you're far from God, this is the heart of the Father for you. He wants to welcome you home. He wants to take away the fallout of your sin and wash you clean. He wants to place you as a son, and he wants to celebrate the life that you can have through the grace. Not because you're worthy, but because he's received you and because your father is good. The story doesn't end there, and this is the only one of these stories that doesn't end there. The other stories end with a celebration because he's saying to the Jews who are standing around saying, why do you eat with all these dirty people? Jesus says, don't you celebrate when you find something valuable? Each one of them ends with a celebration, except this one ends a little bit differently. So pick up with me as we finish out the chapter, verse 25 down to the end of the chapter. And it says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This parable shows a contrast for the first time. And it is the contrasting reaction between the father and the older brother. And the older brother here represents the people who are standing around going, Jesus, why would you hang out with dirty people? These sinful people, why would you be around them? And Jesus is making the point to them that these people matter to God the Father. That they are lost and He is on a mission to find them. So Jesus is confronting them on their natural reactions. If you lost a coin, you would go looking for it. And the contrast with you have lost people here who matter much more than a coin and you're ready to write them off. You're ready to flush them. And so here's one who refuses to celebrate. The celebration has begun, but the older brother says, I want no part of it. 
I want no part of the celebration, just like the people around Jesus want no part of the celebration of the lost being found. And we find out why. He says, I've been out working all day. I haven't been going around making bad choices. I haven't been going around wasting money. I've been being responsible. I've been keeping the rules. I've been doing what's right. And by the way, Dad, in case you forgot, here I am doing the right thing every single day, and you've never had a party for me. Don't, if he deserves a party, don't I deserve a party? I'm the good son. I'm the responsible one. And he is bitter because to him it seems so unfair and so wrong. And it's such a clear mirror to the attitude of the Pharisees and the religious leaders standing around who say, why would you give your time to these dirty sinners? We deserve your time. We deserve your adoration. We're the ones being very, very careful to do what is right. I deserve the party. We deserve the party, not the lost. He's very sure that he deserves the celebration, and he's probably more sure that his brother did not deserve the celebration. Just like the religious leaders believe they deserved God's stuff, they believed they deserved his blessings and his favor, they deserved the kingdom. Those dirty people, those were the lost ones. We're not lost. But what I want you to see here is this. Jesus' point is, This father is rejected by both of his sons. The the younger son rejects him by walking away. The older son rejects him by saying, what matters to you doesn't matter to me. You're wrong, dad. You're wrong to have a party for your lost son coming home. You're foolish. You're ridiculous. You're unfair. They're both lost. They're both separated from their father. And it is a deep rejection of the father because the father comes out of the party, again, going to his son. Just like he went to his younger son, he comes out of the party to this disrespectful older son. And he makes the appeal, come in. The truth is both sons are lost. The first son, we've seen, returns and is restored. But this son, we don't know what happens to him. And in a very powerful rhetorical way this is an open invitation to the older brother to come and join the party the message is will you come and join the party of the lost being found will you share the father's heart for the lost and will you recognize your own lostness some people are lost because they are living without boundaries They are pursuing whatever seems fun, whatever seems exciting, whatever seems satisfying. Whether it's right or wrong, we don't care. We're just all about excitement. And you get lost that way. But some people are lost because they're living in self-righteousness. I'm better than you. I've earned a higher place. What neither of them realize is that their standing with the Father has nothing to do with their performance. The younger son says, I'm not worthy to be your son, so make me your servant. And the father says, but you are my son. It wasn't about your performance, it's about who you are. The older son says, but I deserve it because of my performance. The father says, it has nothing to do with your performance. You're my son. We are who we are because of who we were born to be. Folks, you are not closer to God because you've cleaned your life up and you've made good choices. You're close to God because you've been born again into the family of God, by the grace of God, through the gift of Jesus Christ. And that's it. When we start to act 
unlike our father, when we start to show disrespect to our father is whenever we believe that we earned any of it or we disearned any of it. We are his because we're his sons. And it was never about our performance. It's always about the gift that God gives to us. The point is we're all lost. And we continue to get lost. And the Father keeps coming and looking for us. My question to you is where are you lost today? If we want people to come to God, we need to represent our Father the way that Jesus explains Him to us. That the lost are welcomed. All kinds of lost are loved like the Father loves them. The self-righteous person is loved. The, the dirty sinner is loved. They are welcomed in. Is that our heart? Is that how I treat people? Is that how I look at people? One has the scars of loss and regret. The other has the barrier of pride. But forgiveness is available for every single one of them, no matter their story. Do we believe that? Do we believe that our Father loves them like that? And so as we close our Father's Day service, I thought this was a very appropriate relationship to reflect on today, our Heavenly Father. And so we're going to close with a song that reminds us about what, how we became His children, the forgiveness that is ours through Him. Dads, I guess on Father's Day, the challenge I have as we read the story is, are you a dad like God is a dad? Do you reflect him like this? Is this the kind of father you are in your family? But for all of us, remember, this is our Heavenly Father, and we have been invited to be a part of the party. The best way for us to see people and to love people how God does is to remember that we've been forgiven. To remember the miracle of forgiveness in our lives. So today, do you know him like this? Do you know him like these sons know their father? If you're the one who's wandering, are you ready to come home? Are you, have you come to your senses yet? Have you figured it out that there isn't enough that you can chase and catch to be satisfied? Maybe you're the one who stayed. Maybe you're the rule keeper. Maybe you're the, the good son. Are you ready to come and join the feast to let go of pride and ambition? In either case, the problem often for us is that we think our standing with the Father is based on our performance. But our standing with the Father is based on His forgiveness for us. Have you been forgiven? And if you have been, are you ready to watch other people receive the same redemption that you've received? I hope that as we close with this song, we are powerfully reminded of the love that our Father has for us.